Now, this morning I'm going to preach on, now this is, so I'm going to preach on this subject, but it has nothing to do with you. Because I didn't know, Jesus. Put, put it up there. I'm going to preach on how to deal with difficult people. <laughs> but, you are not difficult. But how many raise your hand and say you know difficult people? All right, so it has, it has no reflection on you whatsoever, but uh, I want to just share with you from the Word of God. Amen. <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking as they're saying all those nice things. I'm like, well, I hope they don't get offended with this sermon this morning. <laughs> but we all know difficult people, don't we? Let's go to the Lord and pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Thank you for this opportunity that we have together together. And thank you for these wonderful people, Lord, who love you and who love me. And, and I just pray that you would just continue to strengthen our hearts together, bind our hearts together as one. I bless them today. I stretch my hands forth and bless them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Keep them, Lord. Protect them, guide them, and direct them. Open our ears today that we would hear your word and we won't fail to praise you for it. And everyone shouted a great big amen. So this morning, I'm going to do a two-part sermon series on dealing with difficult people. And uh, I'm going to start it today, but I'm going to finish it next week. I realize that this is the Thanksgiving season, but I also realize that sometimes we've got to deal with difficult people at the Thanksgiving table. And so um, how many would agree with that? And so people that you see once a year, well, this is a perfect opportunity for you to learn how to deal with difficult people around the Thanksgiving table as you eat your turkey and your yams and your mashed potatoes, uh, you will learn during this sermon series on how to deal with those people that, you, that get on your nerves, all right? So uh, how many would agree with me that you can't get away from people? How many would just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's true, I can't get away from people? Come on, raise your hand, I can't get away from people. No matter how hard you try, you can't get away from people. Guess what? You work with people. You go to school with people. You go to church with people. You live with people. And even if you live alone, at some point in time, you're going to have to interact with people. Because life is about relationships. And all of us are directly or indirectly going to be involved with people. You cannot live life without people. You're going to associate with somebody, even if you live alone. Life is about relationships. And all of our problems, I want you to think about this, all of our problems are directly or indirectly caused by relationships. All of our problems are directly or indirectly caused by relationships. Every one of them. And isn't it amazing that in the New Testament there's over 59 scriptures, over 59 scriptures that mention uh, relationships. It's what we call one another scriptures. For instance, the Bible says in John 13, 35, love one another. Romans 12, verse 10, be devoted to one another. Romans 12, verse 10, honor one another and yourselves. Romans 12 and verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Romans 14, verse 19, build one another up. Romans 15, verse 5, be like-minded towards one another in hospitality. Romans 15, verse 7, accept one another. Romans 15, verse 14, admonish one another and greet one another. Galatians 5, verse 13, serve one another with hospitality. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and be generous towards one another. Ephesians 4, verse 2, forgive one another. And the Bible says in Ephesians 4, verse 2 and 3, be patient with one another in the love of God. So over and over, there's 59 of them. I just read about 15 of them. Over and over, the New Testament is filled with scriptures about how we need to treat one another. Why is that so, ladies and gentlemen? It's so because all of our problems are indirectly or directly associated with people. All of our problems. I want you to say that as loud as you can say it because I think it holds a lot of truth. Say it with me on the count of three. One, two, three. All of our problems are directly or indirectly 
caused by relationships. Say it one more time. All of our problems are caused. It's caused by relationships. Just think about all the heartache you've went through. Think about all the stress. Think about what you go through, your problems, your issues. It's directly or indirectly caused by relationships. And so, as a Christian, it's important that you see this. As a Christian, and it's important that you get this in your soul, as a Christian, you have two priorities. If you had to boil it down to what am I called to do, what is my mission in life, what am I called to do as a Christian, there's two things. You are to love God, and you are to love your brother as yourself. You are to love God, and you are to love people. That is your mission in life. It takes on many different methods, but that's your mission, is to love God and to love people. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, and I quote, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, for this is the first and great commandment, and the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. So my friends, it's very clear. Your mission in life is to love God and to love people. The quality of your relationship with God will directly affect the quality of your relationship with people. It's interesting that the quality of your relationship with God will directly affect the quality of your relationship with people. How you affect people, what you say to people, how you respond to people, what you do to people, it's directly influenced by your relationship with God. You see that cross on the wall over there? That cross is vertical and the cross is horizontal. Because if you're not right vertically, you're not going to be right horizontally and vice versa. It goes together. That's why Jesus said you must love God with all your heart. And then you must love your neighbor as yourself. Even in the Old Testament, it, 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 uh, it captures this picture of loving God and loving people. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter, excuse me, Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 17. Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 17. You don't have to turn there, but it will be behind me, I do believe. If it's not, I want you to listen to me very carefully. The Bible says in Exodus chapter number 20 and beginning with verse number 1, this is the law of God given to Moses. In Exodus chapter 20, verse number 1, And God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Bible says, these are the Ten Commandments. Verse number 3, don't have any other gods before me. Verse 4, you are not to make any graven image. Verse number 7, you are not to take the Lord your God in vain. Verse number 8, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Verse number 12, honor your father and your mother. Verse number 13, let me just say that again. Honor your mother and father. It did not say to forsake your mother and father. Sometimes I think that in marriage we think that we need to diss our parents. It didn't say forsake them. All right? You're to leave and cleave to your spouse, but you're not to forsake your parents. Honor and your mother and your father. Verse 13, you, are, you shall not murder. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Now, why did I just read that to you? Because it's interesting how the Ten Commandments, the first four of them, deal with your relationship with God. Number one, you shall not have any other gods before me. Number two, don't make any graven image. Number three, don't take my name in vain. And number four, keep my day holy. That deals with God. Now, the other six deals with people. Honor your mother and father. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness and don't covet your neighbor's house or stuff or possessions. So what are you saying, Pastor Josh? I am saying that the Old Testament and New Testament is very clear, that your mission is to love God with everything you have and to love people as yourself. The Old Testament law, the law of Moses, demonstrates to us that the four commandments, the first four commandments, is about honoring God, loving God. And the last six of it is about loving your neighbor. So what's the point? Why am I saying this? I am saying it because it's true. Life is about relationships. Life is about your relationship with God, and it's about your relationship with people. You see, we focus so much time on things that are not important. 
we focus so much on time on things that don't really matter. And the only thing that really matters in life is God and people. Why does people matter? Because people are an eternal investment. People are an eternal investment. In other words, you can invest your money in the stock market and it can be gone tomorrow. You can invest your money in banks and money bonds and you can send your money here and there to protect it. It could be gone tomorrow. But there is one investment that will never be lost and that is people. And when you invest yourself into people, it is eternal. That means if you mentor people and lead people to Jesus and help people to grow, that person can meet you on the other side. Can I hear an amen? Your money is not going to go with you. Your possessions will not go with you. But people can go with you to the other side. Can I hear an amen? And that is why I'm asking you to bring toys so that we can bless the children of Galena. That's why I'm asking you to think about somebody Besides yourself, let's make an investment into the city. Let's make an investment into children. Let those children open up those toys and shoes and let it mean something to them. They will remember that a church on 1500 East 7th Street remembered them in 2019. Let's make an eternal investment in the lives of people. People matter to God. And if people matter to God, ladies and gentlemen, they should matter to us. I said if people matter to God, they should matter to us. People are eternal. People have a spirit. Once they bury you six feet beneath the ground and the preacher says his thing and people go home, they're going to forget about you in a few years. In a hundred years, everybody's going to forget about you. But you can invest yourself into somebody and you can meet them on the other side that they will never be forgotten. I'm asking you to love God and to love people. The church has done a great job in teaching us how to fast and to pray and to give our offerings. But I think sometimes, sometimes we have failed along the way in how to deal with people and especially difficult people. Now, let me tell you this. Sometimes life can get on your nerves. And the reason that life gets on your nerves is because relationships can get on your nerves. And sometimes we want to write people off. We want to put the black check mark on their life or beside their name because they've done us wrong or they get on our nerves. We, we become impatient with people. But the Bible tells us that you need to be patient with people. The Bible says in Romans chapter 11, verse 18, Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, who was very clear to the Roman church. He said, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. With everything that's within you, make it possible that you live in peace. Have you ever met somebody that's given a piece of their mind to everybody? And that's the reason why they don't have a piece of their mind, because they're giving too many pieces away. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. What does the Scripture say? Blessed are the what? Peacemakers. In other words, you have to make peace. Everybody shout out with me on the count of three. I have to make peace. One, two, three. You are a peacemaker. You're not supposed to be a troublemaker. You're supposed to be a peacemaker. You're not supposed to be an agitator but a peacemaker. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 24, And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel or fight, but be gentle to all, able to teach and be patient. You see, you see what the Scripture is telling us. It's important how you treat people. Now, there's all kinds of people that are difficult. And yet, God uses difficult people to work sanctification in our life to work growth in our life. If everybody was like you, you would never grow. If everybody thought like you, you would never grow. But God puts difficult people in our life, like sandpaper, to help us grow. Have you ever met the person that I refer to as the hammer person? There's a picture behind me, the hammer person. You know, they hammer you all the time, don't they? I mean, they hammer you with questions. You get up in the morning and they start their mouth. One question right after a question. You come home from work, and what do they do? 
they hammer you with questions. And you're like, can you just give me a few moments to drink my coffee? Can you just give me a few moments so I can just have some peace and quiet? How many would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I've met the hammer person. They constantly hammer me. They constantly won't be quiet. They just, I just need some peace. They hammer me with question after question. I just want some peace and quiet. What about the hot-headed person? The hot-headed person, they just are hot-headed all the time. You can't talk to them. They're sensitive. If you say something wrong, they'll just fly off the mouth. Very quick-tempered, very hot-headed. Have you ever met somebody like that? Okay, five people. I said, has anybody ever met a hot-headed person? All right, that was about 20 people. And the rest of you are lying. I said, is there anybody that's met a hot-headed person? Do you like hot-headed people? No. Amen. I was driving down the road the other day, listening to a song, and I was worshiping the Lord, and I was crying as I was listening to this song. And if anybody knows me, sometimes I'm not a good driver. But the Lord, the Lord is working on my life. Now, if I have a child in the car, I'm very careful. But if, if not, I'm just, sometimes I'm out there. And so I was, you know, I just, you know, I missed the exit. Remember last year I was going to Tulsa and I missed my exit. Drove an hour and a half trying to find my exit because I was out of space thinking about something else. Well, anyway, I was driving down the road of the car and uh, somebody beeped their horn and showed me something on their hands. And I was appalled that they would show that to me. But how many knows that this is the type of person I am sometimes, the next person. Sometimes I'm just out of space. Have you ever met somebody that's just out of space? You're talking to them, but you know they're not listening to you. I mean, you're talking to them, and, 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 and then you're like, so what do you think? And their response is, yeah, 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 yeah. And you know that they're not listening to you. You're talking to them and their eyes are going back and forth. You know, that's one thing that I like when I'm talking to you. Look at me in my eyes. Let's have some connection here. What about the whisper? You just know they're talking about you behind their back, your back. You know, and sometimes this is true and sometimes it's not. What about the bust the bubble person? You get really excited about something and you have a dream and you have a passion and you want to do something and they just come along and bust it because they're negative all the time. Have you ever met somebody like that? Well, what about the loud person? Have you ever met somebody that's just loud all the time? I mean, just loud. I mean, you go out to eat with them and they're loud. You're at JCPenney's and they're loud. They pray loud. They speak. They're just loud. Like me sometimes. Loud. Some people like to yell it and some people like to tell it, right? What about the nitpicking type of person? You do 99 things correct and they will nitpick the 1% that's not right. You know? You do everything else right, but yet they nitpick the rest. What about the crybaby person? They're just oversensitive. You can't ever talk to them because they're always getting their feelings hurt about everything. Oversensitive. Or what about the trash-digging person? You can never go forward in your life because they're always bringing up the past. They're always bringing up what you did and how you didn't do it and the trash-digging person. You see, Jesus even said, listen, you're going to have to deal with these people. You're going to have to deal with them. You're going to have to deal. He said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus said, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. He says, listen, I know there's going to be difficult people. They're not, they're not, not everybody's sheep. Not everybody's kind. Not everybody's sweet. Not everybody's gentle. Not everybody's generous. Not everybody's that way. Sometimes there's, there's, there's goats and there's wolves. Sometimes they don't act right. They're difficult. And I am sending you out like this. Jesus is aware. Jesus is aware that sometimes you will try to feed people and they will bite you. Jesus is aware that sometimes you will help people 
and yet they will accuse you of hurting them. Sometimes you will engage in ministry and they'll misinterpret your motives. Sometimes you'll give advice and they will accuse you of arresting them. Sometimes you will assist somebody and they will say you're controlling. It hurts. People who you love sometimes will hurt you the most. And you know what happens? When people hurt you, you feel rejected, and the rejection causes an infection in your life called bitterness. And we've got to watch about the infection in our life, the hurt, when we don't know how to deal with people. And you know, let me say this, let me say it loud and clear. Please don't lose me, please don't be on Facebook, please pay very close attention to what I'm saying. It is not the anointing that determines if somebody is helped. It is their openness that determines if they're helped. We have powerful services. I've been to powerful services, and yet some people still act the same way. They still have struggles. They still don't know how to deal with people. They don't know how to communicate. This doesn't exist. The anointing does not help them. It's your openness that determines whether you're helped. Your willingness and your openness. It goes hand in hand. Are you willing to be helped and is there an openness to be helped? Are you willing to be helped and is there an openness to be helped? You remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will listen to me, open up his door, let me in, I'll sup with him. In other words, Jesus said, You've got to be willing to open the door. And number two, you've got to be willing and be open to let me sit down at the table and sup with you. You see, it's about openness. It's about willingness. If you really want to be helped, you've got to open up. If you really want to be helped, you've got to be willing to have somebody to help you. And, when, and this is what I've learned. When you force openness on somebody, you move into a spirit of manipulation. So your calling becomes controlling because you're trying to help somebody. Manipulation is this. Manipulation is a control mechanism to satisfy your desire of an intended outcome. And sometimes if people are not open and people are not willing to change, we go into this control mechanism and we force people to open up and we force people to be willing and if we're not careful, we move into a spirit of manipulation. Do not manipulate people to open up. When people are ready to open up, they'll open up. When people are willing, let them open up willingly. If the Holy Spirit can't do it, you can't do it. And let's not open the doors to people through manipulation, but allow the Spirit to work in their life. You walk in a spirit of love. You respond right. And let the Holy Ghost do the rest. Can I hear an amen? Can somebody wave your hand this morning and say amen? People got to be willing to be helped. People have to be open to be helped. And I've learned that some there are some people you cannot help. You know who? You know who you cannot help. Number one, you can't help people who don't think they need it. Come on, this side needs to help me clap a little bit. You guys are great. You can't help people who know they need it, but don't want it. Now this side, I want you to help me out. Number three, you can't help people who don't want it yet. Number four, you can't help people who don't want help from you. And number five, you can't help people who are not willing to do what it takes to get it. You see what I'm saying, number one? Let's, let's review this. Number one, you can't help people who don't think they need it. And <laughs> I'm going home for Thanksgiving. Come on, somebody. Number two, you can't help people who know they need it but don't want it. Number three, you can't help those who don't want it yet. Number four, you can't help people who don't want it from you. Number five, you can't help people who are not willing to do what it takes to get the help. So what am I supposed to do with difficult people? Well, don't give up on them. Give them up. 
give them up. Give them up to God. Give them up to grace. Give them up to forgiveness. But don't give up on people. I know there's this mentality in the church that we just want to throw people to the curb because we tried to help them. Listen, we can do what it takes and do what we need to do, but don't give up on them. Because you... Listen, do you know how important you are? Can I break it down a little bit? Do you know how important you are? You are so important that the devil wants you and God wants you. And there's a battle over your soul right now between two forces, the forces of light and the forces of darkness. And if God wants you and the devil still wants you, that tells me you are an eternal investment. You are important. We should never give up on people. You see, Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, and I quote, it is called the model prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It deals with God and deals with people. Hallowed be your name, Father. Your will come. Your kingdom come. It's about God. And then Jesus said, and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Vertical and horizontal. It matches the testimony of Scripture. Love God with all your heart. Love God with all your soul, but love your neighbor as yourself. It's about loving God, and it's about loving people. Why did Jesus put in the model prayer that we are to forgive our debtors? Because when we deal with difficult people, one of the things that we have to wrestle with is forgiveness. It's the F word in the church that we don't want to talk about. Forgiveness. We don't know how to forgive or we have a wrong definition of what it means to forgive. We throw cliche around like, the Lord's got you. He'll take care of you. That's all right. I forgive you, but I ain't going to forget. You know, we throw these things there, but what does it mean to forgive difficult people? Listen, there are difficult people. You've met difficult people. I listed some of them. I'll list some more to you. It's called the Tater family. Have you ever heard of the Tater family? No? Well, the Tater family is a big Tater family. There's the Dick Tater. The Dictator, the Mr. Dictator, he's all about control. He's, he's all about doing it his way, and if you don't do it his way, then he ain't coming to the show. Mr. Tater. What about Mr. Rotator? You ever heard of Mr. Rotator? Well, Mr. Rotator is come to church one Sunday and you don't see him about five Sundays after that because they go to another church and another church and another church. They can't make up their mind and then they stay out of church. They're, they're just rotating. Mr. Rotator. What about Sister Agitator? You know, she's always agitated about something and she's the troublemaker of the church. If it doesn't see her way, then bless God she ain't coming back because she causes aggravation. What about Mrs. Hesitation? Hesitator. Mrs. Hesitator, boy, she's a dandy. Boy, she hesitates about everything. She has to pray about serving. Let me pray about serving. When do you pray about serving? Where is that in the Bible? You've got to pray about serving. But we always hesitate about it. Hesitate about serving. Hesitate about working for God. Hesitate about teaching a Sunday school class. Hesitates about witnessing for God. Is it God or is it myself? Is it this or is it that? Hesitates about going to church. Hesitates about praying. Hesitates about paying tithe. Do I pay the tithe on the gross? Do I pay the tithe? I'm always hesitating. I just want you to do something. Pick up the Trash off the floor and quit hesitating. Just do something. We are bypassing time because we're hesitating about everything. What about Sister Spectator? Sister Spectator wants to come to church and close her, uh, fold her arms and 
and dictate to everybody else how they're supposed to worship God and how loud the music is and why the pastor's not doing this and why sister so-and-so's doing this and just the spectator, the tater family. What about the imitator? That's the sixth member of the tater family. She wants our church to be like the church down the street. I want, our, I want us to sing the music like they sing the music. I want my preacher to be like so-and-so on TV. I want us to imitate them. What about the amputator? Cuts church off. You got hurt. You get mad. You cut them off. They hurt you. You cut them off. You unfriend them on Facebook. And then you put Scripture to defend yourself because you amputated them out of your life. You might be a part of the tater family. What about the last tater? It's called the sweet tater. She's sweet. Walks in love, gentleness, and kindness. Gives the benefit of doubt to people. And has developed the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit in her life. Don't be a part of the tater family. Don't be a part of the tater family. How am I supposed to forgive people, Pastor? How am I supposed to forgive Mr. Rotator and Sister Hesitator? How am I supposed to give, forgive Sister Spectator? How am I supposed to get over all that? What Sister Rotator said to me hurt me three years ago. And you know Mr. Dictator, he hurt my feelings because it was all about him and I've never let it go. What about Brother Amputator? He just cut me out of his life because... I said something that I didn't know I said. What are you supposed to do with people like this? What are you supposed to do with the Tater family? Well, I am suggesting today that you forgive the Tater family. Forgive them. Walk in the spirit of forgiveness. Because you know what? Joseph is a prime example of the Old Testament, how Joseph was hurt by people. Joseph, in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. His brothers sold. Can you imagine your brother selling you into slavery? Leaving you to die? But that's exactly what they did. His brothers sold him into slavery, left him to die, And the Bible tells us that Joseph was promoted as the second person in Egypt, but he walked in a spirit of forgiveness. How can you walk in a spirit of forgiveness when somebody has done you wrong? Well, number one, this is what it means to forgive. And if you're taking notes, it's very important. I'm going to give you four quick points of what it means to forgive, taken from Joseph and how he responded to his brothers. Because I believe that one of the most powerful stories in the Old Testament that deals with forgiveness is Joseph. After his brothers sold him into slavery, after they put him in the pit, after they lied on him, after Potiphar's wife lied on him, Joseph came to the top. God promoted Joseph. God accelerated Joseph in promotion. Because Joseph understood what it meant to forgive somebody. And from his very life, I believe that we can deal with difficult people. We can learn to walk in the spirit of forgiveness with difficult people. Number one, what does it mean to forgive? Number one, you've got to make a deliberate decision to let go of the anger. You've got to let go of the anger. You've got to let go. I'm not saying you've got to let go of the memory. Your mind is a computer. Your mind does not have a delete button. You're not going to be able to forget what they said to you. You're not going to be able to forget what they did to you. Jesus never said in the Gospels to forget what they did. But you do got to let go of the revenge and the anger that goes with the feeling. You've got to make a deliberate decision to let go of the anger. That's exactly what Joseph did. The Bible says in Genesis chapter number 45, Genesis chapter 45 and verse number 8, Listen to the words of Joseph. Joseph is standing before his brothers. Joseph is revealed to his brothers. And the Bible says, And so now it was that you who sent, who was sent uh, me here, but God, He has made a father, made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all of his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. This is what Joseph is saying to his brothers. Joseph is saying to his brothers, Listen, God sent me here. I know you had a part to play, 
and God has made me a father. God has made me a ruler. In other words, you know what Joseph is saying? I've let go of the anger. God promoted me as the second person in Egypt. I've let go of the anger. I've let go. I know you did me wrong, but I've let it go. That's what Joseph is saying. And listen to me. Listen to me very carefully, church. Forgiveness is not a destination. Forgiveness is a journey. Did you hear what this preacher said this morning? Forgiveness is not a destination. Forgiveness is a journey. And guess what? This journey does not start with the person saying, I'm sorry. Because that person may never say they're sorry. The person may never say they've done wrong. The person may never admit their guilt. And you cannot wait for somebody to say, I'm sorry, to start the process of forgiveness. You've got to start the process of forgiveness inside of your heart and let go of the anger, whether they say they're sorry or whether they admit they've ever done anything wrong. You've got to make a deliberate decision. I've let go of the anger. I've let it go. It's not going to control me any longer because people, listen to this pastor, people who are angry want to cause fear in everybody else. So the person becomes fearful. I know you're angry. I know I did you wrong. And so you become fearful and you don't know what to say or how to respond around them because you know they're angry. And that is a spirit of manipulation. Let it go. Free the person from prison. Let him go. It's not worth it. Joseph said, I've let you go. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 15, verse number 20, Joseph's mindset, his perception changed, and Joseph said it like this, but as for me, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this day to save many people. Joseph said, I know what you did was wrong, but I've come to let you know it didn't fester anger inside of me because I realize God is the puppet master and God is the one that's bringing around for His glory. Hallelujah. So forgiveness is not a destination, it is a journey. And you cannot wait for somebody to say that they're sorry. You've got to take time to work through your emotions. You've got to take time to work through your emotions. Am I right about it? Of course you've got to take time. You've got to take time to work through your emotions. Listen, this is what the Bible says. I'm almost done. Genesis chapter 45, verse number 1. Genesis 45, verse number 1. Look what Joseph does here. This is when Joseph is standing before his brothers. His brothers don't even know it's Joseph. But the Bible says in Genesis 45, verse 1, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood before him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So, he, so no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Do you know what Joseph did? Joseph made a decision that I need to deal with this emotionally with just me and my brothers. I don't need to put it on Facebook. I don't need to have a meeting with five other people in the room. I need to deal with my hurt and my offense with the person who hurt me. He didn't call the Egyptians in the room. He didn't call everybody else in the room. He dealt with his hurt. He dealt with his problem with the offender. And if you're going to get free from the anger, you're going to get free from the offense, you cannot get everybody else involved. Joseph just dealt with his brothers, just him and himself. Joseph loved his brothers. He loved them in spite of what they did to him. He let it go. He realized that letting go of the offense, listen, letting go of the offense doesn't mean there's no consequences and nowhere in Scripture does it mean you've got to be reconciled to them. If somebody has hurt you and done you wrong, that does not mean you've got to go have a cup of tea with them. It doesn't mean that you've got to go to church with them. It doesn't mean that you've got to fellowship with them. You need to forgive them and let go of the anger, but it doesn't mean that the consequence of what you did, that I've got to be your best friend. Now let it go. You can't walk in anger. There's consequences because there's a difference. Listen to Pastor Josh. There's a difference between revenge and justice. Revenge says, I'm angry at you and I want to hurt you back. Justice says, I forgive you. I don't want no harm, but justice needs to be paid because of the community. If everybody just gets by with whatever they want to do, then there is no boundaries in the community. 
It's not just about you, it's about the community. So, forgiveness is not a destination, it's a journey. It doesn't start, it does not start with somebody saying, I'm sorry. It starts with you making a decision to let go of the anger. Number two, you, how do I forgive? Number two, you've got to have a difficult discussion about the truth of the offense. You can't just say, I'm not going to talk about it, forget it, let's, it's over, let's go on. That is not a mature way to do it. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 45, verse number 4, this is what Joseph said to his brothers. Genesis 45, verse number 4, look at Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near and he said to them, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. You know what Joseph is saying? Joseph is saying, listen, I'm going to forgive you, but before I forgive you, you need to know what you did wrong. You sold me into slavery. And the business of us just sweeping things under the carpet and saying let's forget about it and not talk about it, that is why people have issues and have to take nerve pills and take medicine to get up and medicine to go to bed. And there's nothing wrong with medicine. But if we're trying to use medicine to always cope with people and we haven't learned to sit down at the table of negotiation and talk things out, then we're not doing it the mature way. And Joseph said, listen, I've got to sit down and tell you that you sold me into slavery. You are the one that did it. You were in the wrong, but I let it go. And that doesn't happen in today's churches because we've got very few mature people that know how to sit down and have a godly conversation about the issues of their life. Joseph said, shut the door. Bring my brothers here. I'm going to tell you what you did. Let's talk about the truth of the offense. Because you know why this is important? The offense must be known to the offender if there's going to be forgiveness. It's, listen, it's not about living in a lie. It's about living in truth. And once the truth is revealed... Whether they accept it or not is not up to you. You revealed the truth in a spirit of love, in a spirit of hospitality, in a spirit of patience. You delivered in a spirit of gentleness. You throw the ball in their court. You let go of the anger. Give it to God and God will do the rest. Pastor, I don't believe you. The Bible is clear. Matthew 18, verse 15. Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, you go tell your brother the fault between you and him alone. 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 If he hears you, you've gained a brother. Don't put it on Facebook. Don't get on the phone and Tell everybody, you go to them alone. Number four, three. How do I deal with difficult people? Number three, you've got to make sure that you decline to disclose the offense to other people. In other words, you're not called to tell everybody about the offense. This is the principle. This is the biblical principle of offense. The circle of confession should not go outside of the circle of offense. The circle of confession should not go outside the circle of offense. You've got to decide that if I have an issue with somebody, it stays with that person. You can't be replaying the offense to other people. Girl, did you know what he did to me? That's the reason why I don't go to that church. Because, you know what we do when we get offended? We want people to dislike who we dislike. So Sister Broadbottom hurt our feelings. So we want to get an army against Sister Broadbottom. And since I don't like Sister Broadbottom, you shouldn't like Sister Broadbottom. So Sister Broadbottom gets up here and preach. I'm on the front row offended at her. Everybody stands up and claps for Sister Broadbottom. 
Sister Broadbottom did a great job. We're sitting there offended because something Sister Broadbottom said. And you know what we do after church? We go tell everybody, well, she did okay. I mean, if you knew what I knew, we want people to dislike who we dislike. Boy, I'm preaching today. Just throwing it out there. Number four, and then close. We got to determine. You know, it's interesting. Joseph never said, hey, Egyptians, come in here. Let me tell you what my brothers did to me. Because you know what Pharaoh would have done? Pharaoh and Joseph were who? Best friends. They were like family. If, if Joseph would have went to Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, my brothers about 15 years ago sold me into slavery. Pharaoh said, who, where are they at? Bring them here, I'll kill them, every one of them. Joseph understood that I can't talk about it to everybody because not everybody's on the spiritual level that I'm on. They're not at the spiritual maturity that I'm at. So I can't discuss everything to everybody. Number four, in closing, you've got to determine that the destiny of the offender is in the gracious hand of God. Give it to God. Take your hands off of it and say, God, I give it to them. Give it to you. The Lord never said to pray about them. The Lord said to pray for them. How do I know? What is the true test that I know that I've forgiven somebody? When you can legitimately pray for them and not about them, then we know that you have forgiven. Forgiveness is not a destination. It's a journey. You've got to process it. You've got to let it go. It's take time. But number one, you've got to make a deliberate decision to let go of anger. Number two, you've got to make a difficult decision about the truth of the offense. Number three, you've got to decline to disclose the offense to others. And lastly, and number four, you've got to determine that the destiny of the offender is in the gracious hands of God. This is how you deal with difficult people. Jesus said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep among wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. In other words, Jesus said, Listen to me. You're going to be bit by people who you are trying to feed. You're going to help people and they're going to turn around and accuse you of hurting them. You're going to engage in ministry and they're going to misinterpret your motives. You're going to give people advice and in the end they're going to arrest you with their heart and feelings. You're going to assist people and in the end they're going to accuse you of controlling them. Jesus says, listen, you will be rejected, but don't let the rejection cause an infection in your life which causes bitterness and the outcome will be anger. Let it go. There's difficult people every day of your life. Your mission in life is to love God and to love people. If you love someone because they love you, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that you are no better than the pagans because the pagans love people who love them back. But Jesus said you should be like the man that goes the extra mile. You should love people who don't love you. You should bless people who talk about you. People who persecute you. You need to do good things for people that get on your nerves. Don't wait till people come to you for them to shake your hand. You be the mature person and go shake their hand. You be the mature person and go greet them. You be the mature person and make the first move. God is calling you and God is calling me to up the level of love for people. Up the level of love for people. Be generous to people. Love people. Be gracious to people. Be kind to people. And whether they receive it or whether they accuse you of hurting them or whether they misinterpret your motives, 
You've got to be secure in yourself that you are a walking message system of love. And C.S. Lewis said it like this, love them so much that they come to a place in their life where they say, why do you love me that much? Love them until they ask, why? And have you loved somebody so much that they ask the question, why? Have you blessed your enemies? Have you sat down at the table at, with your enemies? Have you cooked a meal for your enemy? Have you went out of the way for people who despise and rejected you? Jesus, the greatest man who ever lived, God incarnate in human flesh, knew that Judas would betray him, but Jesus knew it in his heart, but yet he knelt at his feet and washed his feet. Because that's the picture of love. Can you have the ability to wash the feet of Judas when you know that the heart of Judas is out to betray you? Can you wash his feet? Oh, it's easy to wash Peter's feet. Oh, it's easy to wash somebody's feet when they love you. God's calling you to wash some Judas' feet. God's calling some of you to get on the phone and make men's in relationships. God's calling you to check your heart and up the love in your life about people. And in order for this church to ever do what God has called us to do, people into the kingdom of God. They've had enough preaching. They've had enough bashing. They've had enough cultural shift. We need a church, an army of believers that will stand up with open arms. We may not agree with everything they do, but who cares, church? Let's love them into the kingdom of God. Can I hear an amen? Love them into the kingdom of God. Let's love those difficult people.